Hello and welcome to Another Bottle Down. My name is Mark Rayshap, and this is the show about wine and the wine industry. We actually broadcast live every week on on the air in Austin, Texas, 91.7 FM, co-op radio. And then we make this podcast. So thank you so much for subscribing in the iTunes store or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, my guest is Mike G, who has the Show to V podcast. He is host and producer, and he talks about uh, the spirits industry and about appreciation and interweaves all of this pop culture and music. It's a really fun podcast to listen to. And we actually do something a little bit different this show. Uh, uh, we spend about 20 minutes or so where I'm interviewing Mike, and then we flip the cards and, uh, and, and change seats, and he actually takes more of the lead in interviewing me. So you kind of get uh, both interview styles, and, uh, and we just have wonderful conversation. It's, it's, he's a great interviewer, a great um, interlocutor, and so, uh, you know, it's really fun. I think you're going to enjoy it. And then on air, I actually had Kate Shelley, who is uh, the director of the Texas Wine Revolution, which which is a, uh, it's a wine festival here in Austin, uh, in the surrounding areas, in the hill country. And I toyed with cutting it out for the podcast, but it's a festival that I really believe in. And so I thought it would be really fun to just uh, keep it in the podcast for the first 10 minutes. We talk about all of the events that, are, that, that go on during the Texas Wine Revolution. Uh, and this is a festival that is based on 100% grown and made Texas wines. So uh, if you are out of state, the, it is possible for a Texas winery to import grapes or juice uh, into the state of Texas and then uh, not be so clear on the label. I've actually done a number of shows about this, so check out the archive if you're interested more in that. Uh, okay, so without further ado, this is Kate Shelley from the Texas Wine Revolution. Yes, uh, so first and foremost, Texas Wine Revolution is a nonprofit uh, organization, and it was all based off of um, wanting to create a little more awareness on 100% Texas grown wine. So through that, we created this wine festival that we've been wanting to do um, on an annual basis to help spread that word. Yeah. Um, so this is our third year, and we're super excited about it. Um, like you said, it's April 22nd, and um, it's bigger and better than ever. We have over 40 different uh, 100% Texas grown rosés to taste. We have uh, two great live Texas bands and some Texas food, yeah. and get samples of the food and all that good stuff. Wonderful. So we're focusing on rosé here, which I think is a really interesting category for Texas. There's They're doing wonderful rosés across the board, dry with some, some uh, residual sugar. Uh, how, how does it kind of focus on rosé? Is it just something that the public is really interested in? Um, actually, Texas is a great place to grow um, the wines that make a great rosé. Like you said, from from dry styles to sweet to sparkling to even canned. We have a couple canned this year. Right. But Texas is just has a great climate for growing um, rosé style wines, and that's why we wanted to highlight it. We didn't want to have to single out uh, a bunch of people who could participate. Uh, by choosing maybe just one varietal, so you want with a style of winemaking. Excellent. And, of course, it, it's grown every single year. The first year we had 27, uh, second year we had 36, and this year we have 49 rosés. Yeah, and I want to jump back to something that you talked about, that uh, each producer is going to be uh, pouring wine that is 100% grown and made in Texas. Now, I know that listeners of this show uh, have are familiar with the concept that some wineries might be buying grapes from out of state and and I've uh, I've had Chris Brundred on the show uh, before talking about some of the initiatives but um, this is uh, all of the the wines that are being poured at this event is 100% grown in Texas right correct yeah yeah so is is that is has that the, the the this topic has divided the industry in a little bit of a way and I feel like this festival is a great way to to bring everybody together and in celebrate instead of exclude right was that kind of the concept definitely and that's again why we chose the rose style um, instead of just a single varietal it's funny that you say that because it does bring the industry together um, I've had wineries that have made 
wine specifically so they could attend the next year. Um, and there are some wineries that are participating that their whole portfolio is not 100% Texas. Right. But the rosé that they bring is. So it's really cool. Um, and there's been some opposing wineries, too, that are um, not always for the 100% Texas movement, which is perfectly fine, but they are attending. So it's really cool to see everybody come together, and it's not it's not, um, not as political as you would think it is on our side, at least looking from the industry side. Absolutely. This is what wine is all about, including people and celebrating it. So you've also got uh, a few educational seminars that are going to be. I, I saw that this was done last year, uh, and is that piece growing? Do people want to know different regions from around the state? Do they want to uh, learn more in a, in, a, in a higher level what is going on in Texas? Yes, definitely. So in the past two years, we've done what we call a VIP session, um, which happens before the actual general admission festival. And what that is, is we pretty much put together a panel of people all across the industry. And um, it's very educational as far as uh, inviting the media. So we'll invite media, political influencers, that sort of thing um, to kind of learn about it. Um, But this year, we're happy to say that we have had the time to organize educational seminars throughout the normal festival. So in between one and five, there are three educational seminars that will take place, and they're open to the the public, the ticket holders. Um, Doesn't cost anything extra. And uh, we have three great ones lined up. One's going to be at 145, um, and that's going to be Jessica Dupuy of uh, Texas Monthly. Right, and, and she's, she's Jessica kind of, Jessica's a friend of the show and, and she is one of the, 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 the journalists who has her finger really on the Texas industry. So I'm really excited that she's presenting. Me too. She's really helped the Texas wine industry um, grow, I mean, since day one. We're happy to have her behind us. So super excited to have her. And she's just going to do a general overview about where Texas rosé wines come from and that sort of thing. And then at 2.45, we'll have David Fuhrer, who is a wine, beer, food writer. Um, He's been around for quite a while, and he's originally a Texan. He's going to go over um, a rosé bite pairing, so there'll actually be a little mini food pairing along with some rosé served. And then at 3.45, we'll have Phil Price of Fall Creek Vineyards, and he's just going to go over the different types of rosé in Texas and the different styles that can be made and what they can be made out of. Wow, that's that's a great lineup, and and I think it covers all the different bases of uh, of what is really going going on. Wonderful. And then uh, you mentioned that there's some food that's going to be. Can you can you uh, give a shout out to some of the the food uh, exhibitors that are going to be there? Definitely, we have Garbo's uh, Fresh Maine Lobster back. They're bringing out their their main. Uh, we'll also have Brian's on two ninety. Who's located in Norland Johnson City. Uh, we have Gillen's Candies. We have the Pairing Pocklet, uh, Hill Country Salt, and Hitchin Post Steakhouse. So we have a great, great mix of everything. And I think Texas cuisine is represented pretty well through that line. Right. So there's going to be some barbecue and some some meat served, I, I would imagine. Oh, definitely. Hitchin Post has some great barbecue they're bringing. Right. Well, if you want uh, more information on the Texas Wine Revolution, the vendors, those educational seminars, uh, I- I'm assuming that all of the wineries are listed uh, on the website, and that is TexasWineRevolution.com. Uh, Kate, thank you so much for, for being on the show. What's the weather looking like? This? Uh, oh, I guess we don't have a 10-day forecast yet. Not well. I've been trying to uh, look at my farmer's almanac, and <laughs> right. between that and and doing my non-rain dances, it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, last year there was a little bit of rain, but then it then it cleared up, and there was sunny uh, sunny skies. And I just saw that uh, last year everybody everybody was having a blast. Yes, definitely. There was actually a tornado that hit in the morning, and <laughs> it really didn't shy away from from the fun that was had. So right, and that's how the how the wine industry is. We have to deal with with what nature gives us, right? Right, um, rain or shine, we'll drink wine. <laughs> right. I love it. So, Kate Shelley, thank you so much for for being on the show. Uh, again, the Texas Wine Revolution is April twenty second from one to five p.m. at Horseshoe Bay. Thirty wineries, forty plus rosés, all Texas grown. Uh, and Kate Shelley is the organizer and the founding board member. Good luck to you, Kate, and thank you again for being on the show. 
All right, let's jump into the segment with Mike G from the Show to V podcast. And of course, uh, you can get his all of his work on uh, all of the podcasting apps and showtov.com. Uh, it's really a great pleasure to welcome my next guest into the co-op studios. We are live, and Mike G has been doing this podcast on the spirits industry for a, a number of years. He's up to 225 episodes. It's called The Show to V, which is a really clever pun. Or cheeky. Yeah, I'm kind of a, a punk in that way. Yeah. Right. Dumb <laughs> jokes, man. Dad jokes all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have taken on the podcast format. How does it feel to be live in the studio? I like it. You know, because I'm relatively lazy in some aspects of editing, I don't edit the episodes. Right. So if they're bad, it's my fault. So it's in a sense, I always kind of treat it as it's live. Now, of course, we probably sip a bit more bourbon and swear just a little bit more, which I know is completely verboten here in this FCC riddled place. Right. Absolutely. And uh, but, you know, that is it is a fun thing. I've had some guests where I've had to do a little bit more editing if I've pre-recorded them. And, you know, there's just something about the passion. Sometimes things slip out sure. uh, and that's why we have a dump bucket button here in the studio but <laughs> 10 seconds though right ten, this ten, is cool this is i'm learning about this stuff this is yeah. you know i don't even have many tools in that respect to my disposal right at, so, so uh, one of the first things that i want to talk about because the reason i think that you're doing really cool things with your podcast is you're using spirits as a conduit to mm. get to know people sure and to also get to talk about pop culture, music, uh, all kinds of arts. Yeah. And, and has that, was that always the intention? Was the intention always to use spirits first to kind of get to know other people and get to just talk about other things? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, a lot of people, there's so many product-focused, product-centric podcasts, commercials and things, but I love people. We love people, and I've, in some sense, what this has become is a way to kind of emulate how it is to sit at the bar with these guys, right? Right. So you know, I have many rounds, but just to sit there and just tap into their brain a bit, but both ways. And so I'm going to share dumb jokes, and they're going to share dumb. <laughs> and, and this common experience of just living and being creative and tripping and getting back up, you know. Right. And that I bet you know we're going to talk about your your method a little bit, and um, but I love that idea of. Uh, being in a bar with somebody, getting to know them, mm. and that is, uh, and that can lead you in many directions. Sure, you you inevitably talk about love, you inevitably talk about creativity, whether that's music or acting. But the thing that is actually very important to note is that I don't ever want it to seem like I'm making some excuse to just sit down and drink with people. Right? right. It's not that. It is just simply a conduit, and it is what really I consider emotional equity. Yeah, I'll say something personal because I think that's what it takes to get someone to say something personal back. You know, it is that reflective nature of communication. Yeah, there is something uh, about that that way that you can make a guest feel comfortable. Yeah. I hope I'm doing that right now. Sure. Yeah, that's uh, great. Make a guest feel comfortable, and and then you can open up. And some of the great podcasters, you know, uh, can do that, and they have a gift at that. Do yeah. you think that that is something that uh, might be particular to them? To the modality of podcasting that you, you know, I know some people get nervous in the studio here, and yeah. uh, and then when I pre-record for for this podcast, it um, uh, and and it's podcasted after, right. then people are a little bit more comfortable. Do you feel like that gives you a certain edge? Yeah, it's interesting. Everybody can talk and have conversation, but what they choose to feel comfortable talking about or bringing up even, yeah, kind of pushing the boundaries sometimes is a very healthy thing. And especially when you're dealing with people that are so ensconced in brands, right? And I love brands. There are some amazing brands. But pierce that veil of the brand and then what is that guy really thinking? What does that woman feel like in this industry? That's really what's interesting, this common experience again, right? Absolutely. Kind of making sure you can dig in to that. Yeah. How do you pick your guests? Well, availability. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I have a short list. There are actually some folks that, that Dale DeGroff, for instance, Dale the Whale, as I call him, the White Whale, which because I haven't been able to secure an interview just yet, but he's been on the list for a long time. But there are people that just inevitably come into town. Yeah. Gracieles Angeles of Real Minero. And she was in town randomly, never comes into Austin, really. So you just make sure you pay attention and people come in. You know? Right, absolutely. Are there, do you see any trends in terms of, you cover all spirits. Sure, sure. And uh, are there certain personalities that gravitate to mezcal or certain uh, personalities that gravitate Ooh. to gin or, or to vodka, that sort of thing? That's a great 
question. I wish, how about this? I wish more personalities flocked to brandy, perhaps, which is akin to wine, right? Absolutely, yeah. But it's, in terms of the narrative right now, the fun and maybe riveting thing to talk about because of how it is potentially threatened, the, the natural resource itself, is agave, right? So mezcales are very popular. Lots of people finding passion because it's passion as a conduit through that bottle, right? But sotol, another thing, that's coming, coming up too. So you, you feel that, that there, it's, there's an extreme nature to mezcal and that brings out this passion in people. Sure. You know, I, I talk about, you talk about pop culture, I talk about music all the time. Mezcal yeah. to me are still those three kids playing in the garage. It's it. that unbridled fury, that unbridled creativity, the connection to their passion, right? That's what mezcal is still. And that's maybe why so many people are protective about it, because well, what if you bring in that big name producer and you start changing the natural inherent ruggedness and kind of primal nature? Right, as if mezcal kind of went into the, into the tequila realm that's exactly. like big brands or right. something like that. Which is completely fine, however, yeah. but... You got to protect some stuff, yeah, you know, right. this got to still kind of be cool. It's supposed to be protected and natural and, and natural. And, and that I think is what we're really striving for as well. just as a community. Yeah. I mean, I think I see that too in the wine world that, and it's something that I really pay attention to is to, with so much noise out there, you want to talk with people who have this sense of purity, right. who, who want to maintain something. And often it's really uh, about, uh, about idealism and, uh, and, and it's, it, it can be a tough thing. Right. You know what the best part is actually? So you take, there's certain palenques that you go to, Acalino is one that comes to mind. And for those who, you know, Mezcal Vago is a particular brand. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about brands, but, but yeah, but great, great Mezcal, right? And he doesn't know. He doesn't know the impact. He's just doing his thing. Yeah. And in a way, that's the most romantic sentiment of it all. Right. Is that he just is doing what he knows how to do. Yeah. There's nothing else. And so, and did you have a, a particular spirit that you were into that brought you in there? Were there any surprises along the way? Like oh, for sure. me, I, I remember the first time that, I, and I'm not a spirits guy, but yeah. I remembered the first time that I tasted Calvados oh my gosh, and yeah. Calvados just blew my mind, which is the distillate of Apple cider, yeah. right? right? Absolutely. Right. Just like uh, brandy is the distillate of grapes. Um, and, and there's just this perfume of an orchard and, uh, Oh, it's low. I mean, I had the, the pleasure just a year ago, almost today, being in Normandy and sipping Calvados at the Maine Dupont. And it was wow. a brilliant going through there. And I mean, this is kind of boasting a tad, but going through their cellar and yeah. sipping out of their barrels, they here, here's a tip. Here's a great tip about Calvados. Not only is it delicious. And if you ever go to a liquor store in Normandy or Caen, you actually get to sample whatever Calvados you want for free. Wow. So it's, it's a, an amazing thing. Cause like, right. well, what about that one from uh, 1955? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> right. And, and you know, I'm laughing. It's not going to go bad. You, it's, and it's not like a bottle of right. wine where you open it and you only have a day. Yeah. But a bit back to the original question. It, my life in terms of has been punctuated by spirits in a lot of different ways. And it's really been by category. There's a rich culture in brandy, cognac, armagnac, calvados. There's a rich culture in agave, sotol, which is not agave, but in that same family, mezcal, lechuguilla. There's a lot of these different things. But then you got bourbon, and then you got scotch, and you have gin. And right. so it is an interesting journey punctuated by the categories. If you're just like, all right, well, the next quarter of my life is going to be dedicated to this particular So you category. have these dedicated stages where you're like... It just finds gonna, me, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then you geek out about that. Totally, and yeah. Wow. I was. A, did you ever collect baseball cards or anything? I did collect yeah. baseball so, cards as a kid. Do you remember Upper Deck came out with their first series in 1989, Ken Griffey Jr.'s number one card? Right. Great thing. But you get 10 of those cards. You're like, well, actually, now I want all the cards. Right. I want, I want <laughs> the complete set. Right. So this is how it becomes, regrettably, to my wallet about certain right. categories. Because you're like, well, yeah, but now I don't have, I don't have a... A scotch from, I don't have enough space side scotch now. Right. So I need some more Campbellton stuff, you know? So you just, I'm a collector and that's is, a problem, I think. Is there any, is there any spirit that you kind of can't wrap your head around? Like for me, mm. I just have a hard time. And again, I'm not a spirits guy, but, uh, but I love the passion with which you uh, tackle it. But for me, I just can't really understand vodka. I mean, it just, right, it right. seems like so straightforward and. Well, it's uh, the absence of flavor. Right. I use this when I talk about spirits. If you go to a restaurant, and there's 10 items, all of which sound insanely appealing. But one says, well, it's just kind of a water with some ice and there's a napkin underneath. It's pretty flavorless and odorless. What would compel you <laughs> right, right. to drink that? Right. You know, now is it a good conduit for flavors? Yes, but I think it's more of a means to an end in that case. 
of course, people say maybe there's some nuances depending on grain and stuff. But sure. ultimately, yeah, really neutral. That's what it has to be legally, right? And and that's what it has to be. Do you have any any categories where you're like, uh, I can kind of get the appeal, but it doesn't it doesn't inspire me? I know you're probably yeah, in a political situation here. Well, that, that's an interesting one. It's it's not about brands. Every brand makes great stuff and stuff that I don't find it really incredible. But here, sure. there's just some basic guidelines, right? If you add flavoring to it to make it taste artificial, not into that. I know that you guys experience that with some wines and some sense. Absolutely, yeah. Coloring is another thing. Right. If the proof is too low, I'm a stickler. I can't drink an 80-proof scotch. It's got to be 90 or above for me. Because that's a purist sort of thing, too, well, right? It, well, I just like the flavor. Right, <laughs> and if right. you think about it, I'm not paying for 60% water. I don't want, I want more. There's right. Booze in my, my bottle, you know. Right. But, but the, I don't know. And then I feel like that's kind of being slightly pretentious. And But you know what? You sip enough stuff. You kn- you know what wines you like now, right? Sure. And and I'm and I'm uh, proven incorrect every once in a while, too. Yeah. And that is the best part oh, I love of... That. That is the best part of being in the wine industry where you're like, you know, this category of wine, it just doesn't, it just doesn't call to me. Mm. And then you try one example and you're, and you have this epiphany and right. that happened to me very recently with, uh, uh, Kunawara cab, which this is an Australian Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. The region is Kunawara and it has this really pronounced eucalyptus flavor. Oh, cool. Okay. And, and I was always, it just didn't call to me and it kind of was uh, somewhat off-putting. Mm. And, uh, and then I, I had this epiphany where it was a, it was a wonderful bottle and, uh, and now I find it alluring and yeah. attractive. Absolutely. And, and I love that where, you know, I've been thinking about that wine for, for actually days. You, do you remember when, so I use this analogy, I've used it a couple of times lately, but I remember buying my buddy Valentine Loveless. Okay. Incredible wall of sound record, massive guitars, everything. I bought that record three times because I returned it and got UC as a UCD three times back in the 90s, right? And then it takes some time and you eventually like, oh, I can drink Laphroaig. The Pete isn't so off-putting. Right. You know, we we grow up and, but you can't ever change if you refuse to accept new things. And then maybe that's the true sentiment is that you have to be open. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about flavor. If you are just tuning in, we are talking with Mike G from the Show to V podcast. He covers spirits uh, with guests who are passing through Austin, or maybe uh, he's traveling to visit them at various conferences. Uh, And you can find more information at showtov.libson.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. It is... Um, Proud to announce showtov.com too. Showtov.com. totally live, yeah. And I'm, okay. now I'm writing content, good for better or for worse. Oh, awesome. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah. um, uh, I didn't I didn't see that, but uh, showtov.com. Yeah, easy enough. That, yeah. yeah. And um, so, so and we're doing this dual thing here because Mike G does uh, interview for, for his podcast. So we're going to flip the reins, but I have a few more minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, so, yes. So here's the good thing. You have line of sight to the time. Right. I don't because I would never pull my phone out on this. Right. You so never, you have to tell you have to tell me when we get to flip. Right. So, right, I, right. so then I'm on the hook. Well, we'll play some we'll play some of your music that you've picked out Perfect. from the co-op library. A beautiful library. It is. So. Yeah. What uh, we've had this uh, this discussion just about uh, perceiving spirits. Mm. And that's something that you think a lot about and right, you talk right. to your guests about because it's so personal, and if when you're interviewing somebody and you get the the, the personal feeling from them, uh, the way that they describe how they perceive can be an incredibly interesting thing. Yeah, it it in a way we experience lives in different different ways. So right. maybe you know when you travel and you're someplace new you've never been before, what how, what's the way that you navigate that city? Is it by foot? Is it by train? Is it from pub to pub? And in a way, that's kind of the thing, the the narrative that people kind of craft with those spirits. Actors, they think potentially, what does a scene look like? What does it sound like? What's the lighting like? As a musician or a music guy, I'm always thinking, well, is it a major or minor triad? As you're talking, a chat with Ezra Starr recently that is released, that she thinks about it like that, you know? And Daiquiri's perfect, three notes, right? And you shift the rum, make it darker, perhaps then it's a minor third. But you use an agricole, brighter, punchier, maybe more major, major third. So it is cool that we all have these different places that we come from to kind of think about. Because for you, okay, so for you, when you taste, when you close your eyes, do you see a picture? Do you see smells? Do you see a place? What exactly is it that you 
So actually, I have done some research with uh, cognitive behavioralists, mm. and and actually, we do all see flavor. I like that. And and what's the craziest thing? And I want you to try this with spirits. I'm not sure it will work, but it mm. works with wine, and it will blow your mind. Is that when you swirl and you sniff a wine, mm-hmm. you'll smell all these things. If you move your eyes upward to look as high above your head as you can, which you can't look above your head, but if you basically take your eyes and leave your line of sight, you cannot smell. Period. Ooh, I'd hate that. I know, right? <laughs> no, but, that's an interesting exercise. But if you exercise. look way far up, you will not be. You will smell smell the glass normally. Look up and smell again, and it just shocks everybody. You will not be able to smell that wine wow. because the 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 way that our our brain works is that uh, our eyes actually settle on different parts of our uh, line of sight in depending on what we're smelling. Yeah, I. As weird as that sounds, I've always noticed that I look forward when I drink. Okay. Or, or when I'm kind of thinking, now I make stupid faces inevitably, right? right. <laughs> and everybody's like, do you like it or not? I'm like, no, just hold on. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. But, right. but yes, I'm almost always looking straight. I don't veer. It's just stoic but then kind of look. When you, if you have a nostalgic sort of thought, yeah. think about something nostalgic yeah. right now. Got it. You just okay. went to the upper left. Yeah, yeah. Your, your eyes just moved to the upper left. Oh, that's great. And that is where nostalgia will be. The upper Whereas left is, okay. If you're analytical, it will go to the 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 right hand side of your of of your line of sight. No, I never go right. <laughs> I just realized this. Well, this it's is a true artist. Thing. Yeah, well, well, thank you very much. Yeah. No, finally, I've been calling myself an artist for years and I get some validation. I think this is all we've been seeking for, you know, decades now. But no, I never look right. It's so strange. I just yeah. thought about that. It's always, yeah, always left. Yeah. Like I'm distracted or something. Well, so, I mean, at least that's the nostalgia sort of sort of part or yeah. the creativity sort of side of things. And that happens with, like, if, if I'm saying to somebody, oh, you, you know, think about cherries and strawberries as opposed to if you think about about your grandma's potpourri. Yeah. The eyes will go in different places. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Something pleasurable and something that potentially is quite off-putting. Right. <laughs> like mothballs and baby oil and baby... Right. Those, those smells particularly really bother me. So you, you, you like to not necessarily try and hammer down, uh, you know, these definable things. Do you like more uh, of the of the poetic descriptions? Is that Does that call to you more? Oh, I'm, I, like, I like them both. Okay. I really, appropriate or not, love analogies to okay. describe scenarios as I've talked to the returning a UCD or just with flavors themselves. You know, I wouldn't say that I've, I really look at it too, too structured, you know, cause I, th- I think once you lose the art of a spirit, something that is just a natural O to V perhaps like a Calvados do, that's not trying to be manufactured into something that's insanely complete and the same every year. Right. right. So, so I don't know. It, it's, it's weird. I don't think about it so structured. It, it's more like, how do I feel? How does it make me feel? Yeah. I'm one of those empaths I'm here, I hear. <laughs> right. Hence why we're both here, probably trying to get a little bit of emotion out of one each other. Well, yeah. it is really, it's, it's really difficult, the, the task that we have, because folks are probably not drinking the wine out there or drinking the spirit right. that we are sitting down and talking about. Uh, you are a lot luckier because you get to taste while you do your podcast. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. And I can't have uh, liquids in the studio, which is a good thing because sure. we want this equipment and we want co-op to stay healthy. Yeah. But um, but I, I often taste before the show or whatnot. You've got to do a little bit because it conne- it's connective. But, yeah. yeah, but that that whole process of um, you know of sitting down with somebody and and running through it. Do you have a, a standard way that you kind of taste and run through things in your head? Yeah, you know, every I think memorable or, or successful movie is ultimately a three act play, right? There's the start, there's the climax, and then there's the denouement. I think is what they call it, that third chapter. So if there are more than so. For instance, if they potentially bring, which I love it, and after we get out of the conversation, maybe try some more stuff, I really prefer three marks at the most. Okay. Because then you go beginning. I changed the narrative a little bit, but it's still three chapters. Where'd you start? How did you get to kind of where you are in this industry? And now this particular phase, what's next for you? And so each of the skews, if you will, the marks, they represent a punctuation and a new chapter in that narrative of this person. And does that then represent the conversation that you have? Yeah. I try to start with youngest to oldest, which is maybe too literal, but that's often how it goes. And it's right. you start out with the Blanco, for instance, right? With the Tequila or Hoven for Mezcal. And then you go to the stuff that's older and then it becomes richer, more nuanced, potentially 
more soulful yeah. and educated, much like we do as we get older. Right. I love that. I mean, we, uh, although I'm, I'm, I still have a long ways to go. We both do. We both, yeah. <laughs> to full development. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, my name is Mark Grayshop. This is Another Bottle Down. We talk about wine and the wine industry uh, every week, but then we dabble in spirits. We dabble in beer um, and, and try to use those as a way to further appreciate life and uh, definitely talking here with Mike G from the Show to V podcast and he's doing the same thing on the spirit side trying to use spirits as a conduit to get to know his guests and get to discuss larger themes in 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 the world uh, actually you know the politics of things these days ha- does right. come up in your podcast it has right? to. I yeah. think wherever you side with it and I think it's clear with the podcast conversations where the, my guests side with it. There is no denying that one, comically, it's a great time to drink and a necessary time to drink. But secondly, there's something wrong with the way we're treating each other. Yeah. And I find that the hospitality community, wherever you go in the world, is united. And we have our problems, absolutely. But it at least is conducive and kind of represents maybe this interconnection that we do still have a community, despite what it might feel like on our phone when we're arguing with each other and arguing with people we never met about things we don't truly understand. So because there is so much of this tension around, you see the hospitality industry, our bartenders, mixologists, and all that kind of thing, those roles in society, you see them maybe trying to make more of an effort to connect with people? I don't even think they have to. Business is booming because people need a safe haven. Right. right. Because if you think about it, in in some sense, being a bartender is somewhat thankless in that you're just there to listen. Yeah. And you're going to have plenty of patrons that want to just unload. So in a way, it's cheap therapy, one shot at a time. Right. <laughs> and I love that concept of, of your discussions being that, uh, that little, being a fly on the wall of yeah. a, a, a bar conversation. Hey, Mike, we, we need to take a short break. Sure. Um, you are a music guy. You're a sound guy. Oh, and you, yeah. So you've picked out actually uh, some, some music for us to just uh, catch a breath to. Absolutely. You know, you've got a beautiful collection of records back there. I was like, well, should I play Descendants? This is a little bit too furious for one o'clock in the afternoon. Should we go Gang of Four? But then I'm being too pretentious. So I'm going to go Totally Unknown, Esoteric Girls versus Boys, GVSB. Saw them open up for Rage Against Machine in 1995. I think this record is about 1995. This is the first track on their major label debut, Park Avenue. And we're back live in the studio of Co-op Radio, KOOP, 91.7 FM and KOOP.org, speaking live with Mike G from the Show to V podcast. He has 250, 225 episodes where he discusses spirits with professionals and really interesting uh, folks in our beverage world. And uh, and we're, we're going to do something a little bit unique <laughs> here and flip the uh, the tables. And he's going to he's going to basically take the lead on this interview for the last uh, oh, 22 minutes in the show. As the few opportunities I've had to, to be interviewed, I always say that the hunter becomes the hunted. Yeah, right. And so we're flipping this. this I did role hear reversal. one of those I would, at the 200 episode yeah, mark. Yeah. You did a uh, you did you flipped this. Yeah, the, I wanted the, to talk a little bit. You know, right. it's, like, at some point you're like, ah, man, kind of done listening, but that's okay. And that's how yeah. this stuff goes. So yeah. it's a pleasure to be here. Nine one seven KOP. Get to do this radio voice thing. I love this. Yeah. Get to use the inflection stuff. And so I've been looking through the interviews. I've been looking through what is this honorary award you received this yeah. year. So yeah. let's let's go back and rather think of just reflect, right? So you've had this illustrious career so far. You got an award from the Awesome Food and Wine Alliance this year. Yeah. An honorary mention. Do you feel like the community has embraced I, the you know, show? I, I think that the community has really embraced the show. Co-op has been extremely welcoming, and it's such an honor to be part of this station because yeah. not only do I have a show, but uh, you know we, we volunteer. I also listen to Co-op pretty much nonstop. Cool. So uh, all of the music programming I'm a fan of, uh, all of what we call the MPAs, the news and public affairs shows, I just think that they're, they're, they're top-notch. I mean, we have theater, we have film, we have uh, environmental issues. Yeah. I, I just learn something, and it's not, and it's a deep dive. You know, these shows are an hour, 30 minutes, and it's not like you're getting a little 
two minute spot, you're getting a deep dive. And that's one of the most rewarding things that, uh, you know, when I hear an an interview with somebody online and more, you know, bigger radio stations, it's like, oh, I want to hear more. And so we really get to delve in. And and so I've been completely honored to be part of the show. Um, I think the most rewarding piece to it is when I see a winemaker or somebody that's in the studio and they're able to tell their story mm. and and their and and I've gotten this from other programmers here but the the gratitude the, the the feeling that that is to see this like yeah you have a bigger voice sort of deal right. for something that you're passionate about like that that's that's why you know we do this it is it's it's rewarding in a lot of different ways you know, something, the, the concept of a conversation, you know, we kind of touched on it briefly. We were talking about maybe Twitter or just kind of engaging in these really perfunctory kind of short-term ways of communication. Yeah. You're experiencing people in a conversation. Yeah. Do you feel that the art of conversation, diving into these topics, as you say, you really enjoy doing, that that's something that's really missing from people's lives? Well, a, a lot of the winemakers that I interview, you know, they're stuck in a winery. They're talking to their barrels and, and, <laughs> and whatnot. And so sometimes it is a little awkward to get them out. But but once that little awkward phase goes away, then I think that there's some re- really rewarding stuff that comes out. Uh, I do think that, that we are lacking a little bit of analysis and full coverage of topics yeah. uh, j- overall in the yeah, society. Uh, I spent some time, I, I actually spent some time in the Netherlands and uh, about a year and a half working there uh, at a brewery, actually. And Thankless life you've got, Mark. And, <laughs> and, now, and, and they would maybe discuss things too much. And I actually saw, yeah, I saw, I mean, I would on uh, the weekends when I would watch some television, I mean, it would be the most boring news programs because it would be like one topic in society from 9 a.m. to noon, you know, it's like three hours of discussion and they're trying to be so political in terms of having like every, every single view represented on the show, which is, you know, what we try and do here, but they would have just hours and hours and hours of Ad nauseum. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting. I never thought about that being a risk. So I, I hate soundbite, you know, the soundbite quality yeah. of, you know, a lot of our media is, is hard for me to, to tackle. Sure. Cause it makes you and I seem really intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk to us or a couple of doofuses, I imagine. Right? <laughs> I'm okay with that side of it. I'm all right too. Yeah. I should have worn my glasses today, but it is radio. <laughs> so no one even knows if we're wearing pants, which is a great thing. Don't think it's required from the FCC, but I digress. So this concept you know did you find because your, your academic career is an interesting one right so some interest in math some interest in spanish as well yeah. which given that we're gonna have to drink more mezcal together since you can speak spanish probably quite well at this y- point yeah i mean you know it's tested sometimes during membership drive i have to come on hilka's show yeah. and uh and speak spanish and it's it's rusty it's rusty but, but that's uh, still better than yeah. What's before Rusty? What's worse than Rusty? Corroded? <laughs> it, it takes me, I was in Spain last year and, you know, it took me a couple of days to get in the swing of things, but then I was rocking and rolling. That's great. And, um, and it's really nice to talk with, uh, you know, I've got um, a lot of the winemaking world that mm-hmm. I can communicate with. I, I can do okay French and Italian, just like winemaker speak. Sure, sure. Uh, so I can get by with that, but but in Spain and then of course South America, Chile and Argentina, which are major wine producing areas, you know I can I can really get get in there. That's great. Yeah. You and I potentially have one similar tra- trait, and that is that people will open up to us. Did you notice this early on? But just you know, latent understanding that realized maybe Mark, you have this ability to get people to open up. Maybe they feel comfortable about you was that something maybe socially kind of understood when you're younger yeah i i i I, uh, basically i forget how it's worded but i assume all of the stress in the room yeah sometimes to my detriment actually but it makes that i'm a really great arbiter Uh of anything i mean uh, just being in a group i can basically uh you know any tense situation i can diffuse pretty pretty well and pretty quickly yeah. You have and a very calm demeanor that helps, right? Sometimes I'm a little bit too diplomatic and that's something really? that I, I, I do 
I'm consciously sometimes working on in terms of when do I want to actually go for it, sure. you know, and not be diplomatic. Picking your battles kind of thing. Yeah. And like, and also if you're too diplomatic, it's also not that interesting. Right? Yeah. So, so sometimes controversy does, uh, does, does do Friction a encourages growth. Friction encourages right? growth. Right. You're married. You understand that. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, you know, and it, I think that's an interesting thing. You're a good arbiter. I think that's a great place and great communication style to kind of get people to talk and get things moving. But for you, you've, you've picked a topic, you know, whether the topic found you or you explored wine and then found out that you wanted to do research via the personalities and producers. But for you, let's say, let's say early on, what was your relationship and your family's relationship with alcohol? Like? Oh, none, no, none. 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 It, it was absolutely the travel piece of things mm. that, um, uh, no, my family. There was there was just no alcohol in the house. No wine. Really? No wine in the house. Just just not pay it no mind, or it was just intentional, or no, no, just a, just, just a thing. No, I mean my parents were pretty busy, and yeah. Uh, and yeah, it just was never anything that um, you know. There was a little Manischewitz here and there, but <laughs> you know, but uh, at, at uh, religious events, but um, but my dad just. Never really enjoyed the taste of wine. He always thought it was too bitter, sure. which is a common thing. Uh, and and so it's really funny, even now in today's world, uh, you know, he'll make fun of me because he likes the really sweet wines. Yeah. And we, we constantly uh, butt heads on that. But, but it, the first time that I was uh, just blown away was when I went to Spain. And I was sitting around these tables as an exchange student and uh, with people of all ages. And these lunches or dinners would carry on. And I saw that wine was a facilitator in terms of it could bring people together. Yeah. It could link you with history. Uh, I, I'm a, I like studying, reading history yeah. uh, and culture and travel and food. And so all of these things... It was it was pretty funny. I actually wasn't into food at all until I was 18 and went to Spain. I was a very picky eater. Mm. And uh, basically, I arrived in Spain and travel had opened me up. And then uh, there was this uh, little fish that you eat, the, the bones and all, like yeah, the yeah. head and the bones. And I, I would have never done anything like that. But because I was traveling and really interested in experiencing things, I was like, hey, why not? Ate it. And then from there on in, I ate and loved everything. Everything. The man who ate everything. Yeah, that's a, that's a great thing. I think the culture does that. So you know, when people, it, it's not it's not a way to judge by any means, but it is a sense. If if you've traveled a lot, odds are you've probably eaten a lot of stuff. Right. Probably drank a lot of stuff. Exposure, exposure. Yeah. You know. So then coming back. From Spain, did you have this wanderlust to travel and to drink and to eat more and more? Yeah, I left my uh, pre-med uh, degree behind and, wow. and, and went to Spanish. And then I started studying the literature because to me, the wine and literature are quite linked. And uh, when I was first enjoying wine in Spain, I was reading poetry of Jose Marti. Mm. And it, it was just like... I, I just really geeked out about how I can smell a wine for uh, over the course of an entire po poem and still not be bored with it. Wow. I mean, this was, you know, it was not the best wine at the time, but it was still, I was traveling to the region. So, you know, there was, there was some good stuff. Yeah. And, and I still, I still feel that way. I feel that, that wine and the art of tasting wine for me is a form of meditation, actually. Really? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. interesting. It, but it, Everybody brings out another character after four glasses of wine, let's say. Sure, right. For you, do you still find that you're the d diplomatic, easygoing guy that maybe becomes a tad more gregarious? Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's certainly like some inhibitions that are left behind, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> On the tracks behind us. Yeah, yeah, yeah way far behind. But, but isn't that one of the nice elements to being in this business is that the thing you deeply appreciate and are passionate about that is made by real people from real places and tradition also makes you feel pretty good. Right. Well, that the wine wouldn't be something that we're talking about all the complexities about if it didn't do that throughout the millennia. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, if, if it didn't, uh, if it didn't make people, uh, enjoy some particular piece of life, uh, a little bit better, you know, it would have been, we would have been doing something else. That's a good point. We probably would have been smoking pot or something like that. Something else enjoyable. Yeah. But, but you know, it's got its own culture. And I think it's a beautiful way to punctuate your life because you have so many different places with wine you can go. Yeah. Literally, right? Spain, Australia, you know? Oh, all over. All over the place. 
but I do, I do really um, gain a tremendous amount of enjoyment from, uh, you know, basically taking a moment and shutting everything out mm. and just sticking my nose in the glass of wine and just really forgetting everything. Yeah. This, I love that. I mean, I love that about, <laughs> you can, do, I mean, put it on the list. Calvados is amazing. Armagnac, these right. things, just a deep rich flavor and smells and just takes you someplace. And hey, you, you have to back announce on radio and, and you know, this is a, Oh, uh, that's, Oh, that's right. So yeah, I'm it's not. a different, um, if you're just tuning in, <laughs> if you're just tuning in, I'm chatting with Mark H of another bottle down. This is 91.7 FM co-op radio, Austin, Texas. The hunter becoming the hunted, right. as I call it. And Mike G is the host and creator of the Show to V podcast. I make a terrible point guard. I, t- <laughs> <laughs> I can't get the ball to anybody else, man. I'm Kobeing this whole thing. It's terrible. So as you kind of dove into this podcast piece, this live radio interview, have you had any interviews that were really, really difficult to get through? that potentially it was a, just a terrible match of personalities. You know, I was going to ask you that same question. We just didn't I get knew, to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's always going to be some interviews that, that you don't really connect with the guest. Yeah. Um, and, and oftentimes it, I, I see that when people are maybe, it's not their first passion. You know, maybe they, they're, they're, they're just working in the industry yeah. or, um, and so I think it happens less the better I get at selecting the guests right. or I might schedule in a shorter time frame if I feel like there's not going to be a rapport or something like that. But you so, diplomatically can navigate those waters pretty well. Well, I mean, nobody walks in the studio here until uh, 2 p.m. So <laughs> something has to happen. That's true. It's a good point. <laughs> Fill the space. Yeah. Whereas you could, you know, you could just shut off the podcast. I've done it. Yeah. Have so, you? Yeah, it was tough. I felt like very, very anxious when I did it. But sometimes you got to call it. A bad conversation is a bad conversation. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Your eyes are lit up. I love it. Yeah. I have screwed up some some recording pretty bad. Have you? Yeah, with some with some real prominent guests. I oh, was that's doing the worst. one in particular, uh, and and I just had my levels way way off and it wasn't running it wasn't clipping through the mics, but it was recording completely clipped. Oh man. And uh, I know you're a sound guy, so Oh it's, no, I, I I've spent hours trying if I get that kind of problem, I just heartbreaking. Well I need to uh, I've done some research. I might need to pick your brain as far as I, I don't think I can clean it up. It's yeah. past it's past uh, recovery. Always some options. We'll have to talk right, about that. Yeah. We're gonna play another song. Is this what we're doing? Um, or we can keep talking either way. It's good. No, let's, me. let's, uh, we've got, uh, we'll get some good time left. All right. You want want to, well, we, we wanted to talk about the medium of podcasts and again, yeah. you know, touching into conversation podcast is something that allows us to deep dive into a topic. How do you feel about the medium and potentially how it will grow even larger as people become disconnected from mainstream media? <laughs> Yeah, I think that this is a great question and a great point and a great topic for uh, our society right now. Yeah. I think that podcasting is um, is so cool that you can have, and, and there's so many things about it. A, you have that it could be um, just somebody with a mic who has something really interesting to say. Um, it, it can be very alternative in a certain way. Mm. And then the form can actually be very, uh, um, very interesting because most people listen to podcasts with earbuds. Yeah. And so you have, you actually develop this closer relationship with the host. Uh, whereas most people that's listen br- to, I had not thought that's brilliant. Yeah. Most yeah. people listen to radio in their car or, um, or, or, you know, at home or, uh, in the office or whatever, but most mm. people listen to podcasts in earbuds and you form a different relationship. Uh, likewise, sometimes I, I enjoy different sounds of the voice yeah, because you yeah. can kind of get those a little bit more whereas um and i'm still working on the, the eliminating the the ums and all this kind sure. of stuff sorry it's uh, tough. Uh, yeah. out there if that that bothers but uh it's it's really tough but in the podcasting world you can hear maybe a little bit more of the natural uh imperfections in the voice and then they become desirable yeah. to a certain extent no that's why people listen to tom waits yeah. <laughs> no there's no other that. reason oh, right yeah, <laughs> or the opposite why they listen to jeff buckley right? Right. the beauty along with the coarseness so i've got two questions this i love it because i can wrap it up just like my show right there's a, <laughs> a little bit of control switched around it's great so i got two questions left for you okay i asked this of all the guests and it, you would get you'd be surprised at the vast gamut of answers that i got but let's say that you are sipping a glass of calvados okay 
anywhere in the world, doesn't matter where, if it's your favorite place, whether it's on a park bench or in a, a pub, doesn't matter, who would you love to sip and have a conversation with, living or deceased? Oh, wow. I mean, living or deceased, one, and I get one. Uh, I know. Man, um, yeah, really hard. Wow. Calvados, Calvados in, uh, in the, the setting of my choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to say, uh, and it could be, you know, I'm going to do one personal. It, yeah. It, it w- no, it, please. It, it, it would probably be uh, my mom because she passed away when I was young. Yeah. Um, it's a you know, great, in great the way to connect world of, you know, yeah. And it's just so much has happened since then. Yeah. Like, boy. I mean, she probably wouldn't drink Calvados, but maybe she would drink, uh, she would drink, um, a whiskey sour was when, when she went to weddings, she would, she would do that. Uh, East meets West. Yeah. I mean, and then, uh, yeah, so much has happened. Um, and I would, I would, if I get a second one, just, um, of course you did. Mark, you get whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the house. I would love, I would love to sit down with Barack Obama. Oh man. And that's maybe cliche. It's maybe too obvious. But no, but I think I heard he's a bourbon guy. Now, I yeah. know he drinks beer and stuff, which does, is great, yeah. but I heard he's got a pension for bourbon. Well, you should reach out. Maybe they'll be on your show. <laughs> well, he already hit David Letterman, so I, I don't know. know. <laughs> I know, right? Did you catch that? And much? Mark Maron, uh, too, in the yeah. podcast world. Yeah. Now, I'd love to interview Mark Maron. That's definitely on the, on the radar. Yeah. Well, so the kind of path for a lot of folks in this industry, on the wine side, on the spirit side, they do some brand ambassador work. They do some content work. You're creating this amazing program. But also, a lot of them write. Yeah. Is there, looking into the future state, a book on the horizon for ooh, you? Ooh, ooh, that's good. I mean, I write for several blogs and, and a few, um, sometimes under uh, my own name and sometimes not. Yeah. Um, I, I, w- I would love to explore a, a book. And, and one of the things that I think would be really interesting to explore is more on the poetic side of mm. things, because I don't think that that is, is there enough uh, in terms of how does wine really bridge us into uh, other enjoyment uh, factors and how does it touch on, on us in certain ways yeah. and, and maybe have you know, anecdotes uh, from, uh, from you know, notable wine people from around the world and, um, and, and I think that that could be more uh, soon on the horizon yeah. is, uh, I think, editorial audio type uh, stuff where it's just a spoken word, but on a topic in wine. I would love to explore that uh, a little Content, further. man. You know, it's yeah. fun to be in this kind of business of creating content. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's something that I love. So, you know, it, it works out. <laughs> and you get some some kind of carte blanche here in this beautiful studio of yours. Right. Well, um, yeah, within, within certain parameters, uh, <laughs> and, and also, and of course, you know, we want to, uh, respect the, the desires as to how co-op wants to present itself. Absolutely. So that's always on my mind. Yeah. Um, we've got, uh, we've got time. We've got 30 seconds left. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. to reverse the roles here and chat with you, yeah. you know, learn more about you, about your journey. And I can't wait to see what you're up to what next. Are, what are, what, what would be one of your favorite? Ezra Stark, Ezra 225 Star. just released it. The most intellectual stim- stimulating chat I've ever had on the show. Yeah. It was brilliant. We talked about everything that people love that I love, culture, language. Music. I love the little piece about, uh, about Miles Davis and the tone yeah. of Miles Davis. What, what can you describe she, that a little bit? She was saying that the tone was articulated by a piece of loose skin on his top lip. And that was how his, this, what ultimately stylized Miles Davis's tone. Those kinds of tidbits, those are more in- to come from show to be available at your favorite podcast locations. What, uh, what, what, so we're going to go out to some music. Cool. You know, music Queens is- of the Stone Age, yes. Songs of the Deaf, a brilliant record. Dave Grohl fills in on drums. It's no resonance to any of the drums. Number three, Number Songs three. of the Dead.